Our gracious Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity to be here this morning and to learn about the, the ninth commandment. And I pray, Father, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, for those, especially in this room, who don't have those yet. Lord, uh, convict hearts, help them to see the glory of the gospel and how it solves a lot of the problem of, of, uh, of just what it means to actually live out the ninth commandment and, and not being able to do so uh, because we're sinners. So, Father, help us to, to understand these things. Help us to get a better picture of what the ninth commandment's all about and how it even applies to our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, today we do want to move forward in our series in the Ten Commandments. And what we want to do is we want to look at the ninth commandment, okay? And the ninth commandment, you guys tell me, what, what, what is the ninth commandment? You should know this by now. For those of you guys who've been here for our series, what is the ninth commandment? Come on. Have you guys really that rusty? That, it is that one, yes. So what is that? What is it? Do not lie, okay. That's technically not what it is, but do not bear false witness, okay. Do not bear false, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's the ninth commandment, all right. Uh, you can find this in Exodus 20, verse 16, or Deuteronomy 5, 20. Uh, but you need to understand something up front, okay, about this command. The most common way people take the ninth commandment is that it's talking about lying. It's talking about lying. Don't bear false witness means don't lie. And that's definitely true to some extent, but lying, um, lying is, is a part of what it means to bear false witness, but there's more to it than just that. It's more. Uh, let me rephrase the ninth commandment for you, okay, just for the sake of, of argument here, because I don't think your English translations actually do a good enough job explaining to you what this means. I don't. In fact, if you would translate this more literally, the way it should be translated, um, it actually makes more sense, okay? So here's, here's a better way to state the ninth commandment. You shall not testify with a false testimony against your neighbor. Testify, false testimony. What does that sound like? What does that sound like to you? If you testify or you have a testimony, what does that sound like to you? Like court. court, exactly. It sounds like a court proceeding, doesn't it? Because that's exactly what it's talking about. The ninth commandment's about court. You're like, what? That's crazy. It is, it's true. It's not just about lying, although we could actually make the implication that lying is a big part of court, isn't it? Like, you know, people lie all the time in court and stuff like that, right? They lie under oath but it's primarily about your testimony in court. But why does the Ninth Commandment address a very limited, narrow subject like your testimony in court? You know, that, that, that's, that's the question we're kind of after here. Why not just say in the Ninth Commandment, don't lie? Because the Ninth Commandment's concerned with something more than just lying. Uh, there's a broader principle that it's touching on and you need to see what it is. I don't think it's too difficult for you to figure it out either. The whole point of court, the reason why we have like a building full of judges and witnesses and lawyers and plaintiffs and bailiffs and, bailiffs and attorneys and defendants and so on and so forth is because we're trying to establish justice. It's all about justice, right? That's what court's all about. Uh, in other words, you know, it's all about, you know, if, if you were to use like a corny superhero term, it's all about serving up a slice of justice, right? So that's the point of the ninth commandment. 
Don't bear false witness, or as I put it, don't testify with a false testimony. It's all about administering justice. So think about it. Why would anyone want to give a false testimony in court? Why lie under oath when you're on the witness stand? Because you don't want justice or you want to avoid justice for yourself, right? That's the whole point. Somehow a false testimony, testimony will benefit you, whereas a true testimony will harm you. So instead of getting the harm that you deserve, you lie under oath and try to sidestep the justice that you deserve. That's the ninth commandment. And here's the big problem with this, okay? Because you might be asking yourself, like, well, who cares? Like, so you kind of fib a little bit on when, when you're in court or something like that. What's the big deal? Well, when you tip the scales of justice in your favor, so, you know, you, 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 know, you, you lie to try to benefit yourself, what you're doing is you're not just benefiting yourself, you're actually hurting someone else. That's what you're doing. You're hurting the other person in court. Um, his life just got a little bit worse. Your life just got a little bit better. The scales of justice go against the other person. Don't give false testimony against your neighbor. S those last three words are important because that shows you the heart of the Ninth Commandment. The reason why the Ninth Commandment is so concerned about your testimony on standing court is because any attempt to hijack justice to benefit yourself costs the other person dearly. It costs them dearly. The Ninth Commandment's more than just about lying. It's saying any word or even committing any act that strips justice of its power so that you can get something good and uh, that you don't deserve and so someone else can get something bad that they don't deserve. That's the problem with the Ninth Commandment, okay? That's injustice. That's not justice, okay? So the Ninth Commandment then teaches us very simply, and here's the Ninth Commandment here for you, all right? Do not bear false witness. The Ninth Commandment teaches us that God cares about justice. God cares about justice. And God cares about justice because God cares about people. That's why this command is here. Injustice harms other people, and God doesn't like it. And we find uh, examples of justice and people ignoring the Ninth Commandment all over the place in the Bible. It's all over the place. But I want to head to Deuteronomy chapter 24 and 25 this morning to show you a string of case laws that illustrate the nature of the Ninth Commandment, okay? And we're going to see four principles as we investigate four different stories, okay, in Deuteronomy 24 and 25. And with each Old Testament story, I'll also throw in there a New Testament example of this principle just for free. So you get kind of a two-for-one deal here, okay? So you get to see the Old Testament and the New Testament all in one. So as we look at each story here, watch for the ways that God cares about justice. Watch for the ways God cares about justice, okay? Uh, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 24 in your Bibles and look at verse 16. Uh, here's where we see our first story. It's a law, but it gives us a hypothetical situation that could happen. So kind of put your thinking caps on and just imagine the scenario for me with me, uh, with me okay? Uh, and the first principle we're going to learn here, and I'll just bring this up front for you, is this. Uh, that the ninth commandment protects the innocent. The ninth commandment protects the innocent, okay? So here's verse 16. Here's what it says. Uh, fathers should not be put to death for their children, and children should not be put to death for their fathers, okay? 
And, uh, and the idea here is that each one should be put to death for his own sin. Now, what's this story talking about? I don't think it's actually difficult to imagine. It's actually quite simple. A father shouldn't be punished for something that his, you know, his son did or something like that. And on the flip side, his son shouldn't be punished for something that his father did, right? Um, so say, for example, you're walking through the mall, all right? And you see a really nice jacket. And you're like, hey, that looks really nice. That would go really well with my shirt and my shoes and stuff like that. It just matches really well. So you grab the jacket and put it on, and you just kind of walk off with it, right? And you steal it. So, well, the mall's in-store cameras catch you doing that, and the cops show up at your front door the next day, and your dad opens the door, and the cops explain the situation to you that you, that you stole this jacket, and instead of arresting you, they arrest your dad. What? Like, that doesn't make any sense, right? Of course it doesn't make any sense because that's dumb. That, that's not justice. That doesn't, that's not helpful at all. You need to be punished for the crime, not your dad, right? So I think that's simple enough to understand. And it works in reverse. A child shouldn't have to pay for the crimes of his father, okay? So this case law stems from the justice principle of the Ninth Commandment, and it targets one particular quality. Protect the innocent. Protect the innocent. If the father sinned by himself, his son shouldn't be punished along with him because the son's innocent. Um, and if the son sinned by himself, his father shouldn't be punished along with him because the father's innocent, okay? So protect the innocent. Now, does the New Testament reiterate the same principle? You better believe it, it does. Uh, put a finger in Deuteronomy 24 and turn over to 1 Timothy 5, verse 19. 1 Timothy 5, verse 19. Okay. We're going to be making kind of this jump a lot, Deuteronomy, New Testament, Deuteronomy, New Testament, so kind of get ready here. Uh, this is talking about elders in the church, 1 Timothy 5.19, elders in the church. How should you treat elders in the church? And look at verse 19 here. Do not accept a charge against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses, okay? Now, what is this talking about here? Notice two or three witnesses. Witnesses. You guys know what a witness is? Witness is what? A witness who's witnessing, right? We think about this sometimes in terms of evangelism, but that's actually not what this is talking about. A witness, legally speaking, is someone who stands, you know, in, or sits in court and testifies a, uh, some kind of a testimony, right? A witness who's on the stand. That's what this is talking about. Bring a couple of witnesses, people who are eyewitnesses of something that happened, right? So here, here's kind of the idea. This is all about justice because it's about, idea, it's about court. There are going to be times when people in a church congregation want to bring an accusation against an elder. And it may be true, it may be not. But the question is, how do you know? How do you know whether it's true or not? 1 Timothy 5.19 says that the way you know is by getting the facts from at least two or three witnesses, people who actually saw the event happen. And here's why this is important. Requiring two or three witnesses to confirm someone's accusation protects the elder from someone who's out to ruin his life. Okay, you don't, you don't want someone coming along and being like, hey, I don't like this pastor just for whatever reason, so I'm gonna bring up some kind of false accusation and just ruin his life. And then, you know, you just have to kind of just blindly accept the fact that this guy 
has a, an accusation against him, okay? So we don't want to do that. So let me give you an example of how this works, okay? Let's say, for example, I don't like Pastor Steve, okay? I just really don't like him. And don't worry, this isn't true. I love Pastor Steve, okay? So uh, let's just say I don't like him because I'm going to make myself out to be the bad guy, okay? I don't like him so much so that I want him removed from his role as a pastor of this church, okay? And so what do I do? I fabricate a false charge against him. That's what I do. And maybe I go to the elders and I say, I saw Pastor Steve stealing from the offering bag, okay? And, you know, like during the service or something like that. And which he never did, of course, and, and he, he didn't do it even in our example here. But I lie and I say that he did. Now, in, now if 1 Timothy 5.19 is not here, it's not in place, the elders have no clue whether they should believe me or not, right? They have no idea. How should they know? And so it's my word against poor old Pastor Steve's who has to now defend himself from my dumb accusation, okay? And it's a false accusation at that. But 1 Timothy 5.19 warns the elders, don't just take James's word for it. Don't just take my word for it. Get at least one or two other witnesses who can verify whether what I said is true or not. So here's what they do. They ask Joel, his son, was Pastor Steve stealing from the offering bag? Why would they ask Joel? Because he's sitting like in the same row as Pastor Steve and he can watch Pastor Steve, you know, steal from the offering bag. And Joel says, um, no, that's ridiculous. My dad wouldn't, dad, dad's never done that. And so, and then they ask Mrs. Schwartz too, who's sitting right next to Pastor Steve. And she says, no. And they ask Mr. Zervis, who's sitting across the row. And he says, no, okay. So, so you get like three witnesses that are saying no. So what does that make me? A liar. I'm a liar and it's my problem. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to ruin Pastor Steve. I'm not protecting the innocent. I'm butchering the ninth commandment. I'm bearing false witness against my neighbor, okay? So two or three witnesses protect the innocent. So that's what the ninth commandment's all about. It's, it's protecting the innocent, okay? Now, the second principle that we see is this, that the ninth commandment provides for the helpless. It provides for the helpless. And so we see this again in Deuteronomy 24. So go ahead and turn back there when you get a chance. And we're going to look at verse 17. And actually, we're going to look at verses 17, 19, 20, and 21. 17, 19, 20, and 21. Okay? And I want you to keep an eye on three words. Three words are going to show up several times in this text. Sojourner, fatherless, widow. Or I might say sojourner, orphan, widow. Okay? Sojourner, orphan, widow. All three kinds of people in, is, in Israel are the most help, helpless people in society. They're the most helpless. They can't help themselves. They're poor. They're, they don't have jobs. They have no one to support them. They're just, they're helpless, okay? That's, that's what these people are. That's why, they're bring, that's why Deuteronomy is bringing them to your attention, okay? The sojourner is someone who's passing through the land of Israel, and he's kind of staying for a short, short while. That's a sojourner. Um, it's kind of like when you go on vacation for a while and you stay in a hotel, right? You stay in a different place. It's not your home. You're staying away, stuff like that. Well, this person is actually not staying for like a week or two. 
this person's staying for like several months or a year or longer. Okay, this person's like, they're, they're, they're basically outcasts from their own country and they're trying to find solitude in Israel and they're trying to find help, but they don't know anybody, right? Like when you go to like a different country, do you know anybody usually? Probably not, like in, unless you have like family in that country. And so what do you have to do? You have to like get help from other people. And if you don't know the language, it's really hard, right? So this is, these people are really at a disadvantage. They don't have a job. They don't have a way to support themselves. They don't know anybody. It's hard for them, okay? So they're helpless. The fatherless or an orphan is someone who's lost his parents. And obviously this person's helpless because he, doesn't, he, or, he or she doesn't have parents to provide for them, okay? And the last one, the widow is helpless because she doesn't have a husband uh, to provide for her because he's either divorced her or, or he's died, okay? So, uh, so keep all these in mind as we look at these, these, uh, these uh, couple of examples here, right? These three or four examples. Verse 17, it says, You shall not pervert justice due to the sojourner or the fatherless, or take a widow's garment in pledge. And uh, now skip down to verse 18, okay? Skip down to verse 18. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, and that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You see the sojourner, fatherless, and the widow show up over and over and over again? Those four little examples about the sojourner, the fatherless, and the, and the, and the uh, widow, they all tell the same story. They all have to do with the sojourners, the orphans, the widows. They're the outcasts of society and the ones who need the most help. They're helpless. And the idea here in all these stories is that you should help them because they're helpless. That's the idea. Verse 17 says, you shouldn't, tells you what you shouldn't do. Don't take what's most precious to them as a pledge because that would cripple them. Like for example, if you take the only piece of clothing that a widow has, she can't stay warm. So don't do that. That's horrible. But here's what you should do instead in the next three examples. You should let all these individuals mooch off of your food. That's kind of the idea. Let them go through the field and take a sheaf that you own and start harvesting grain for themselves. Let them pick olives off the ground that were, that were shaken down from the trees. Let them pick the, the leftover grapes off of the vine. Why? Because you want to be helpful to those who are helpless. That's the idea. What, what is this all about here? This is all about justice. Justice is not just a protecting the innocent, it's also providing for the helpless. That's true justice, biblically speaking. It's helping those who can't help themselves. So the ninth commandment provides for the helpless. So what about the New Testament? Do, does the New Testament give us an example uh, of, of helping the helpless, providing for the helpless? Absolutely. Uh, turn over to James chapter 1, verse 27. James chapter 1, 27. You might remember this from about a year or two ago when we went through the book of James and we looked at this particular passage. Not me specifically, but, but when Nate was here. James 1, 20, 27 says that pure and undefiled religion before 
uh, our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. Visit orphans and widows in their distress. And so visit orphans and widows in their distress. Really, the idea here is intervene for them. Help them. That's good. That's, that's, that's right. That, there's a place for that. Please do that. We need to provide for the helpless. If someone's in need, it's our responsibility to help that person as much as we are able to. That's the principle uh, behind the ninth commandment in this particular situation, okay? Third, third. Uh, the ninth commandment practices what it preaches. The ni- or the ninth commandment basically tells you to practice what you preach, all right? Um, for, our, for our third story, we're going to turn again back to Deuteronomy, and we're going to look at uh, chapter 25, all right? Deuteronomy 25. So we just finished chapter 24. Now we're going to look at 25. And, we'll, and, and just look at the first three verses here. It says, If there is a dispute between men, and they come into court, and the judges decide between them, acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty, then if the guilty man deserves to be beaten, the judge shall cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence with a number of stripes in proportion to his offense. Forty stripes may be given to him, but not more. Lest if, if one should go on to beat him with more stripes than these, your brother would be degraded in your sight. Now, I actually think this is probably the easiest story to understand. Here's the thing. If someone did something bad, punish them, okay? If they did something wrong, make sure they pay for it. That's the idea. It's simple. If you can't do the crime, or sorry, if you can't do the time, don't do the crime, okay? Uh, But if you do do the crime, you should do the time. That's justice. So what's the principle we learn? True justice practices what it preaches. Don't let people off the hook all willy-nilly and be like, well, he didn't mean to, or, well, he's just psychotic or something like that. Well, listen, it doesn't matter, okay? Nothing excuses sin. Matthew 5.19 says, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, and get this, false witness. That's the ninth commandment, all right? There's no excuse for sin. None. It all comes from out of the sinful heart. Don't let it off the hook. Let justice be served. If someone did something wrong that deserves punishment from the legal system, you should let them be punished. You don't hide that, okay? So, does the New Testament affirm the same principle? Yeah, it does. Uh, Turn back over to 1 Timothy 5. We're going to go back to 1 Timothy 5. We just looked at this, verse 19, but actually, I want to look at the very next verse, verse 20. Verse 20. They go together because, again, this is all talking about the ninth commandment or justice, all right? And uh, look again at verse 19 so you can kind of remember what we were talking about. It says, uh, do not admit a charge against an elder except um, on, the, on the basis or on the evidence of two or three witnesses. But, and we just looked at that, that that's protecting the innocent, right? If, an, if the elder has been falsely accused, you know, make sure he doesn't go down so easily. Have an extra witness or two to testify so that he, uh, uh, to, to testify his innocence. Well, but here's the thing. What if he's guilty? What if an elder is actually guilty? What do you do then? Check out verse 20. It says, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them so that uh, even 
the, uh, so that the rest may stand in fear. So if someone is guilty, if an elder is guilty, rebuke him and, and make sure that you uh, announce it in front of all the church. So this kind of flips the coin over to the other side. And verse 19 is meant to protect, while verse 19 is meant to protect the innocent, verse 20 is meant to convict the guilty, to convict the guilty. Those two persist in sin need to be rebuked in the presence of the entire church. That's huge. Don't let sin slide. If someone's committed something that's worthy of, of being punished, if they're being punished for, then, then make sure that that's, that's announced, that's made public, and that they pay for that crime. Let that person stand and fall by his own integrity. You know, just because, you know, someone's a pastor and, you know, is supposed to be like a really good person and things like that, you know, if he, don't let him slide if, he, if he's committed a sin. You know, there ain't no big shot, you know, too big uh, for, uh, for t- who can elude God's justice. It doesn't work that way. If he sinned grievously and it can be proven by clear evidence from multiple witnesses, don't let that go, okay? So you see, the Ninth Commandment isn't just about protection. It's not just about provision for those who are innocent and helpless. It's, n- it's not just a nice and fluffy commandment. There's also a side of it that's, uh, that, that can be really bad for people who deserve it, right? And the, reason, the question is why? Because that's the nature of justice. It rewards those who deserve it, but it also condemns those who deserve it as well. Those who do the crime do the time. That's justice. All right, fourth and final commandment. All right, that was 1 Timothy 5.20, so. Fourth and final commandment. Pay whoever's worthy. Uh, ninth commandment, pays who, whoever's worthy. And this comes from Deuteronomy 5, or 25, verse 4. Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. You might have heard this verse before because it's actually quoted in the New Testament a couple of times. It says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it is threshing. You shall not muzzle an ox while it is threshing. Um, I like this one because it's actually kind of funny, okay? It's actually a funny story. And I might actually draw on the board to, to, uh, to illustrate this because it's always, it's always helpful to understand what's going on visually speaking, okay? You guys know what a muzzle is, right? What's a muzzle? Someone tell me what a muzzle is. What's a muzzle? Yeah, yeah, like you see it on dogs mostly, right? Like when like a dog's like really bad and stuff like that, um, they have a muzzle. So it's this this text says you don't want to muzzle an ox, but here's what would happen. So you put like this big like muzzle on this ox, and he's sad because he's got this muzzle, right? Okay. So it says don't muzzle the ox while it's threshing. Okay. Do you guys know what threshing is? Threshing is when uh, like back in those days, they would have animals stomp on like all the all the wheat and stuff like that to kind of um, pulverize it into a powder powdery grain. Basically, turns it into grain so you can eat it and stuff like that. Okay, that's what threshing is. So it, it's like, well, why would you muzzle an ox or not muzzle an ox while he's threshing? Threshing. What's the point of that? Okay, so so that's kind of the question we're trying to answer here, right? Well, here's the thing. Sometimes people in ancient times would put the, put the muzzles over their oxen while they worked, and here's why they would do that. Let's say this is, this, 
This is Big Bessie here, okay? This is Big Bessie, all right? All right? And, and, and Bessie's job is to trample all that, all that wheat into grain, all right? And that's her job as an ox. However, what, what happens when a big cow is standing over a pile of grain? It's going to eat it, right? That's, that's, what, she, that's, that's what she's going to do. Big Bessie's going to eat all that grain, all right? And so, so what people would do is like, well, we don't want to like lose a bunch of grain because the cow's just munching away, you know, the entire day. So we put a muzzle on her to make sure she doesn't do that. Well, Deuteronomy 25.4 says, don't put a muzzle on the ox. And these people are like, but why? Like, she's going to eat the, like all the grain. And here, here's the thing. Uh, she's not going to eat all the grain. But she's going to eat a lot of it, and you're going to lose a lot of profit that way. But, but why, would, why would God say, don't do that? Don't let her eat all of that grain. Well, here's what's kind of going on. Um, when you think about it, if you don't let her graze over the grain, what happens is she's going to starve. She's going to starve. And she's going to grow hungry. And she's not going to reap, in a sense, the rewards of her work. You're basically like, she's doing all this work, and she doesn't have any energy to do it because she can't have food. And that, the idea is that's not right. That's not justice. Let her graze some to get the energy to continue working. Let her be rewarded for her efforts. That's the principle here. Uh, the, the, really, the principle here is that Bessie's worthy of being paid in food. Okay, that's her payment, all right? And so, so... I know she's just a cow, you know, but that's the general principle here. If someone's doing the work, don't stiff them so, so that you can earn more money. And here's the thing. We see this in the New Testament, too. We saw it actually not too long ago, James chapter 5, verse 4. It says, and you don't have to turn there for the sake of time, but it says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the, the ears of the Lord of hosts. The rich man didn't give his workers their paychecks. Why not? Because he, he saves money that way. He saves money that way. But that's not right. That's unjust. Exactly. This reflects the ninth commandment. Pay whoever's worthy of being paid. That's a principle embedded in the ninth commandment. The four stories we looked at in the Old Testament, or at the Old, in the Old Testament, and the four parallel examples we look at in the New Testament, all revolve around the same principle, that God cares about justice. He cares about justice. And each of those stories and examples highlights for us a different, unique quality of justice. What does justice look like? Well, it protects the innocent. It provides for the helpless. It practices what it preaches. It pays whoever's worthy. That's justice. That's the ninth commandment. But here's the thing. Before we kind of close down here, I want to bring this to your world before we wrap things up, okay? What does the ninth commandment mean for you today? What does it mean for you today? Because if I don't answer that question, then it's like, well, then what do I do with the ninth commandment? How do I not bear false witness against my neighbor and stuff like that, okay? How does this apply to your life? It's a little more complicated now, I think, in our day and age than it used to be. 
And so I need to kind of be, I'll try to be brief, but I need to have a careful discussion with you about this, okay? A very careful discussion. You see, our society, the, the, the culture you're living in right now, is huge, is big on justice, big on justice. They, like the Ninth Commandment was like tailor-made for our culture. They love justice. And you see it in a very particular term that kind of gets floated around everywhere called social justice. How many of you guys have ever heard of social justice? Raise your hand. Social justice. If you've never heard of, heard of social justice, it's very simply this. Justice in terms of distribution of wealth, opportunities, and privileges, privileges within our society. In other words, social justice is about making sure everything's fair, okay? No one's richer than the next person. No one's discriminated against. No one's better than someone else. That's social justice, all right? Social justice aims at leveling the playing field of everyone so nobody, nobody's left out. And you, like kind of a silly example of this, anytime you've had like, a, like a, um, a competition or some played some kind of a sport, and instead of giving the winner a trophy or a prize, everyone, including the losers, gets a ribbon of participation, you know? And no one gets like a winner's trophy or anything like that. Like that's, that's, that's kind of the idea behind this, okay? Um, why do people do that? To make sure no one's offended or feeling bad about themselves. That's why they do that, okay? Make sure everyone's feeling good. That's part of the attitude behind social justice. Now listen up. That's not biblical justice. That's not the definition of biblical justice. Nowhere in the Bible do you ever find fairness. You only find justice. Justice. What's the difference? Fairness is making everything and everyone equal. Justice is making sure everyone gets what they deserve. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. Now, let me give you a clear and current example of something our culture's kind of getting all worked up about in terms of social justice, okay? So you can kind of get your arms wrapped around this. And it's a big deal right now, and I want to address it because it's kind of the elephant in the room. And you may be aware of it, you may not, but that's okay. I want to make sure you're aware of it, and I want to kind of talk it through just very briefly, okay? And I'm going to kind of extrapolate some, some offshoots of this so we kind of get a full picture, all right? So Black Lives Matter, okay, Black Lives Matter. You might have heard of this, all right? It's a major push to make sure that African Americans and all blacks in general are not discriminated against. Now recently, it's taken shape around some concerns that police officers are unnecessarily shooting black civilians for no legitimate reason whatsoever, okay? It's assumed then by some that these officers are racist and that there's a major racist problem within our society uh, and within our law enforcement ranks, all right? Therefore, here's the thing. Black Lives Matter is a big social justice push to raise awareness of this potential problem and to try to gain popularity from the public to do something about it, okay? However, however, some people don't, don't think blacks are being discriminated against at all in these situations. There's like another group of people that say that's not happening. They think all the videos that are going out over the internet about cops shooting black people are either taken out of context or are just isolated random events with no racist agenda attached to them whatsoever. There really isn't a racist problem among law enforcement and nothing needs to be done. Therefore, you've got a group of people who are trying to protect police officers from slander and even protect them from physical harm underneath the banner that blue lives matter. 
So it's not that black lives matter, it's not that blue lives matter. So you see now two different parties at odds with each other. You see how this works? That's what's going on in our culture right now. It's a big deal. And then there's still some who say, now wait a minute, the real issue here isn't so much that there's a problem with police officers or there's a problem with Black Lives Matter agenda or something like that. We need to make sure everyone knows that all lives matter, okay? And so we don't want to create two opposing sides that are at each other's throats. We want to bring them together and say, no, all lives matter, blue lives matter, black lives matter, white lives matter, every life matters. That's the, that's the principle, okay? And then there's still another group out there that's trying to add their two cents into the equation, and they're saying, hey, while you're all arguing about these couple of episodes where cop shoots this black guy, this black guy shoots this cop, we're over here noticing that thousands of babies are being aborted in the womb. So who's their voice? Unborn lives matter, okay? Stop abortion first. That's the bigger problem. Wow. What a headache, right? There's so much that's going on. Which side do you choose? Which side do you choose? And when the dust settles, how do you know if you've actually obeyed the intention of the ninth commandment that you upheld justice properly? Because here's the thing. They're all saying good things, but they're all also saying bad things. And it's hard to know. How do, how do you sift through all this and figure out what is true and what is not? Let me very quickly give you a couple of pointers to help you sift through all the noise and come to a solid biblical conclusion here, okay? How do you think through this biblically? That's a big issue right now, okay? I want to address this. One, listen. Listen. The reason why this issue is so confusing is because all sides are actually not communicating with each other. That's why it's like, it's such a big issue. Because no one's actually communicating. What they're doing is they're not listening to each other. They're actually answering each other's, they're not actually answering each other's concerns. And so what happens is you have, it's like two ships passing in the night. One person says this, one person says this, but they're not actually talking about the same thing. They're talking about two different things. So here's an example of what this looks like. Black Lives Matter says, hey, black lives are important. Stop the discrimination. But All Lives Matter says, you're actually being racist because you're focusing too much on black people. And there's really no, there's really, no one's being discriminated against, so you're actually pushing them up as this, like, a, like a really good people, and you're discriminating against other people. Well, here's the thing. Is Black Lives Matter actually saying that blacks are better than everyone else? Some people, no, no. Many of these people would agree with All Lives Matter that all lives matter. They just think that some lives are being discriminated against. That's all it is. So some people, what happens is people are putting words in other people's mouths when they're not actually saying those things. Listen, listen to people, hear them out. Don't just assume you know what they're talking about. Get the facts, ask them questions. Uh, don't, don't just kind of fire off on someone just because they don't agree with you. Listen to them, okay? Listen to all sides of the argument. Um, we're a society that doesn't listen. You, you guys don't listen. I don't listen. We don't. We're a culture that naturally does not consider all sides of an issue before we come to a re reasonable, con unbiased conclusion. Why? Because we're, we're sinful. We love to just trumpet our own agenda and, and make sure we make sure we, we, we proclaim that, that what we say is right, whether it's true or not. That's just what we like to do. But we need to listen. We need to listen. Even if the other person's wrong, listen. Listen, okay?
two, learn, learn. One of the greatest mistakes people make when they're engaging in these issues is that they forget they weren't there. They weren't there. They, I, I think it's hilarious how people blast all this stuff on social media, and it's like, guys, you weren't there. You have no idea what happened. And even though there's a video that kind of records it, you don't know the context. You have no idea what happened when that cop shot that man. You have no idea what happened when those protesters got out of line. You have no idea what happened because, face it, you weren't there. You weren't there. And, but people spout opinions all the time about these issues, and they have no clue what they're about. No clue. If you want to be able to contribute a good opinion on such a sensitive subject like Black Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matters or whatever, do your homework first. Do your homework. Investigate the issues. Learn what happened from primary sources, uh, people who were actually there, who actually saw it and could get the full context. Learn. Don't just assume that you know what happened because your cousin posted this article or this video on Facebook or whatever, Instagram or something. Okay. Third, talk. Talk. And here's what I mean by that. Actually have voice-to-voice, face-to-face conversations about this stuff. Social media is not a good place to have these conversations. It's not. I, I, I never, like almost never like to have a conversation or share an article or video about these types of issues because here's the thing. I've never seen one single person change their mind over these issues on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Never. Never. Never seen someone change their mind. You can't do it because it's too, you're too distant. Uh, it doesn't work that way. Um, here's a few reasons why social media is not a good place to do this. It's so easy to misunderstand someone. So easy. Um, you know, you, you can totally misunderstand what people are saying all the time on social media because you're not face to face. You can't get their facial reactions and read them. And also, second, it's hard to control your emotions. I know we have em- emojis in our phones and stuff like that, and we can express emotion. But here's the thing: you could totally misunderstand those too. You know, like it works in dating this way, and or when someone likes someone, someone sends you like a smiley emoji. <gasps> Does that person like me? Like, no, he's probably just sending you a smiley face or something like that, right? Or like, you know, he's writing in all caps. He's angry at me. No, he just likes to write in all caps. I don't know. We totally misunderstand stuff. Don't do this stuff online. It's too sensitive material. Talk in person, okay? But fourth, and this is most important, evangelize. Evangelize. Because here's the thing. The biggest problem with social justice today is that it's trying to solve a justice problem for all the wrong reasons. That's the biggest problem. You know, you know, people think, well, you know, they're, they're, they're all trying to get justice just for someone, and that's it. But, and there's nothing wrong with trying to get justice for someone who needs it, that's fine, but it's missing the most important component. What's that? The gospel. It's missing the gospel. Here's the thing, I skipped over two verses in Deuteronomy chapter 24 on purpose because here's what those verses say. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. In other words, why should you uphold justice? Because God, first and foremost, upheld justice for your sake. In other words, the reason why we promote justice today with other people is because we're reflecting the gospel of justice. That's why. 
If that's not your agenda when you're promoting justice, then get out of the justice business because you have no business being there as a Christian. And just, and just go and, and, and absorb yourself in the world and all their justice principles. But that's so, so shallow. It's so much more than that. We promote the gospel. That's the reason why we seek justice because we're trying to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're trying to evangelize people that there's a greater need than just that people's lives are being hurt by other, other people. We're promoting the fact that our life is in danger of hell and we need God's justice. Remember Romans chapter 5, verse 6? We've been talking about this verse a lot. For although we were helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For with difficulty someone would die for a righteous person, for someone might even dare to die for a good person. But, verse 8, God demonstrated his own love for us in that although we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's true justice. We want to promote that. We want to evangelize that. That's why we uphold justice. So, with all that in mind, where does that leave us? How do you put this into practice? Okay? Should I help others? Should I help the helpless, the innocent? Should I stand up for abortion? Should I stand up against discrimination? What should I do? Here's what I would encourage you to do, particularly at your young age. You want to seek justice? You want to be someone who lives in the, in the, live out, lives out the Ninth Commandment? Look for opportunities to shine justice in the church. Look to shine justice in the church. Why? Because the church is the place where you get to visibly shine a different story about justice. If you get caught up in all the agendas that are out there, what's going to happen? You're going to get wrapped up in their agenda of why they're seeking for justice. Get wrapped up in God's agenda for justice. Where can you do that? Where's the best place to do that? Here. Start here. Start with the church. Start looking to help people in this church. Why? Because that's an easy way to display the gospel that I'm here to love. I'm here to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's what John chapter 13, verse 35 says. This is, this is really, I think this is really, really cool, really, really important. This talks exactly about justice in terms of evangelism. He says in verse uh, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, so that you might also love one another. Love one another. Seek to help other people. Seek for justice in that sense. And it says, verse 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What's the whole point of loving other people? What's the whole point of seeking for their justice? To show that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ that you've been saved by the grace of God. That's the point. Do so. Help people in this church. That's a great place to start. Don't get wrapped up in all the agendas of the world. Don't. Because it's not, it has no biblical foundation. Seek the gospel and let that promote uh, the justice to help other people that you need, okay? Father, we thank you so much for this time to be able to look at the ninth commandment. Father, I pray that you would help us to put these things into practice for your name's sake. Bless these students and help them to get clarity on how they can be helpful in this church, how they can seek to help one another, how they can seek to help their peers and be an encouragement to each other. Father, may we be people who uphold justice, but not be so adamant because just for the sake of justice's sake, 
but may we be do so because we want to promote your agenda, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you became the just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus Christ, Romans 3.24. Father, I pray that that would be our focus. It is in the name of Jesus Christ we pray all these things. Amen.